Hi, this is Cynthia from What Career Do I Pick podcast. This is a place for you to hear about the different types of jobs that are out there with the hopes that you gain a little bit of clarity in terms of the career that you might want to follow. A few of the most coveted jobs in the world are the jobs in the C-suite. CEO, CIO, CSO, CTO, and of course, CFO. What are all of those C's all about anyways? Today, we will be talking about what it means to be a CFO and what day-to-day looks like and what it takes to be a great CFO. Our guest is Dennis O'Keefe, who has over 40 years of professional experience, including over 30 years of senior executive leadership experience. Prior to becoming a chief executive, he built his foundational experience in various finance-related fields, including auditing, financial accounting, management accounting, as well as financial control. He went on to become the CFO of seven different companies, including Peter McCollum, Cancer Center, as well as Citiport Philip. I'm very excited to talk to him today, so let's get started. Hey, Dennis. Hi, Cynthia. How are you, stranger? Hey, how are you? Good. Your hair's shorter than I remember. Yeah, that's my summer hair. Okay. Just well, I've got my, got my summer hair too. If you'd seen me three weeks ago, I had curls down the back of my hair. My hair hadn't been that curly since or that long since I was 15 years of age. So <laughs> seven months without a haircut and... Um, to actually be in the barbers and to see it all falling onto the ground was quite bizarre. So. I'm very excited um, to talk to you because, you know, I think the C-suite roles, they are big, important executive roles that not many people know about in terms of what does the day-to-day look like or what does it actually mean to be, let's say, a CF or a CEO. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited to unpack that, unpack that a little bit with you. So thank you very much for giving me one hour of your time tonight. Nah, yeah. You're welcome. I was thinking... It would be good to maybe go back a little bit in time. So I know you've got like just going through your LinkedIn, you've yeah. got 30 plus years of work experience. So it might not be fair for me to go back to the 1980s. Sure. <laughs> but I just want to quickly have a chat about maybe what did you do in school? I think that's a g- good way to sort of get started and sort of start unpacking your career in a way. So I grew up in the Republic of Ireland. So I grew up in Waterford in the southeastern um, part of Ireland. Um I grew up in a family that was uh, my dad and basically all his family were working class people. So building labor, my dad was, um, worked a fairly physical job for all all his working career. And Mm -hmm. my mum, which was typical of those days, worked from, you know, within the house. She looked after the four of us as children. I'm the oldest of four kids. Uh, I was the first person in my entire family to end up going to a tertiary institution and to end up with a professional qualification. So in my uh, VCE or my leaving certificate year in Ireland, which was 1980, so that shows my vintage at this stage, I did do accounting. I did accounting in that final year and did reasonably well at it, but it wasn't my it wasn't really my first choice. When I left school, I had my heart set on applying to become a cadet officer in the Irish Army. Mm-hmm. So I applied for that. My uh, Irish language skills were not high enough to get me in. Uh, mm-hmm. The Irish language or Gaelic language is pretty much the working language of the Irish armed forces. Mm-hmm. And my uh, oral skills in Irish were not the standard they needed to be. So I went through the part of the application process, but didn't get uh, into the cadets. And I had a plan B, which I always had in my back pocket, which was um, 
chartered accounting. So Coopers and Librand in Waterford, uh, which is one of the foundation firms of PwC, obviously. Uh, Coopers and Librand offered me what in those days was considered a really good opportunity. It was called, uh, you, be, you took your articles. So you committed to six years with Coopers and Librand in their office in Waterford. The first two years, you went to the local equivalent of a TAFE college and you did um, the two first foundation exams for the chartered accounting uh, qualification. After those two years, you then went into the professional office into Coopers and Librand and you effectively joined an audit team. You became part of the auditing uh, division and you then had those four years in the office to finalize and finish off your two professional exams. And then at the end of that six year period, if you'd passed those four exams, the two foundation exams and the two professional exams, and you had the six years of experience, you qualified as a chartered accountant. So I was fortunate enough to pass all my exams four years in a row, yeah. and which meant that I had two years left of my articles to get a lot of experience as a senior auditor, uh, which I did. And that set me up then to follow my dream, which was to go to Australia, to uh -huh. live and work in Australia. So in October 1986, about a month after I married my, my ex-wife Susan, we came out to Australia for an adventure for two years. Uh, Pricewaterhouse, ironically, because they've now merged Pricewaterhouse and Coopers Library to become PwC, and my daughter now works for PwC. So it's it's a bit incestuous, but um, <laughs> I, I came to Australia, joined the Melbourne Audit Division of Pricewaterhouse, spent about five or six months in their auditing team. Wasn't a big fan of the auditing side of things, mm -hmm. um, but uh, got tapped on the shoulder then by one of their clients to go and join them in a um, financial accounting role. PwC were a little bit upset at the time because they had spent a chunk of money bringing me out to Australia with my wife. Uh, they'd paid for our visa. Mm -hmm. we had pro uh, obviously, we had a permanent residency visa. But because it was one of their client companies, they didn't pursue it too hard. They didn't want to really upset the client. So I went into a financial accounting role. And over the next six to eight years, I progressed up because Australia compared to Ireland provided great opportunity. If you were keen, had a good work ethic, mm -hmm. um, you got opportunities to get promoted pretty quickly. And so I moved uh, between 1986 and probably into the early 90s. I moved up through about three or four different uh, levels within different companies, uh, corporate accountant manager role, uh, financial controller role, chief financial mm -hmm. officer role, mm -hmm. director of finance and logistics, and then a managing director role for Australia and New Zealand for a major US multinational. And the key reason I got that general manager or CEO role was really my financial background. Um, mm -hmm. I had been the CFO in that business, uh, business called Dentsply, Dentsply Serona it now is. It's the largest manufacturer of dental products in the world. And I became the CEO for Australia and New Zealand, but I had worked for five or six years as the CFO of that business and had built up a really good uh, industry knowledge. Uh, I had a really good mentor. The CEO at the time was an American guy who hired me. When he went back to America after his four years, mm. he uh, put me forward as a possibility mm. to take on that leadership role in Australia and New Zealand. I got the gig. I was the first CFO in the entire international organization to be promoted to a CEO role. And and I then was CEO there for six years. And my financial background enabled me to really make some significant changes uh, in the strategy for that organization. We had a lot of mergers and acquisitions going on internationally. And my job was to integrate those into the Australian marketplace. And so the business grew threefold in the time that I led it as the um, general manager. So 
finance for me was really a great stepping stone uh, into my further career opportunities. You know, the bread and butter role of finance, as we well know, um, that hasn't gone away. It's the same pretty much as it was 40 years ago. You know, our role there is um, to safeguard the assets of the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, it's to ensure that we provide reliable, uh, accurate and relevant information to the management of the organization to make key decisions to drive that business forward. Mm. We need to understand very uh, intimately the revenue and the cost drivers for that organization. And we need to be willing to uh, think wider than just, I suppose, the pure financial straitjacket that many of us potentially were trained in, in our early days as finance professionals. The world today uh, and the finance professional of today, and particularly when I look at a lot of the people who are in my team, they're people with a much more broader skill set. They have uh, more strategic skills. They have good decision-making skills. They're, they have the ability to work, particularly the finance business partner roles, which we in the old days know as the management accountant roles. Those guys need to be providing uh, insights to the managers and the organization, the parts of the organization that they work with. Mm -hmm. to, to help them run their business so that they can be successful. The days of just being a number cruncher and emailing out mm -hmm. very, Over. very detailed, number-heavy uh, reports, those days are gone. I mean, you can still, if you're coming to the end of your career and you're in an organization that still hasn't probably progressed, you can probably hang out for another few years. Mm -hmm. But the reality is uh, organizations are transforming. Technology and the solutions and the productivity tools we have available to us today are changing the world of finance. And mm -hmm. so, so from that perspective, finance has been a great career for me. I, I will have close to uh, 40 years of finance experience in a couple of years time when it's my plan to finish up my full-time executive career and go more into a, you know, not-for-profit uh, board consulting type of uh, mode. Mm. But um, yeah, I would recommend any students. Uh, you don't have to have a financial background. And I know Melbourne Uni in particular, uh, you would have a background, wide variety of undergraduate degrees that you're doing. Just because you're not doing a finance or a hardcore finance degree, don't think that a career for you in finance is out of the question. It's not. It helps to give you a little bit of a head start in the early days in your financial career. But, you know, a lot of the people I'm hiring are people now who have varied backgrounds. Some of them, believe it or not, I've had a mate who's recently hired somebody into a manager account or a business partner role whose background was science and environmental science. And their whole focus is on sustainability and innovation in the context of the new world that we're in uh, and its impact on financial risk for organizations. So, you know, mm. keep your mind open as uh, potential graduates um, coming out of Melbourne Uni and Trinity, lots mm. of opportunities. Yeah. And also, I think the CPA and the CA programs, they do have a pathway for those that didn't do accounting or finance in uni anyways. So you can always get certified there. They and do. And that's quite different role. from when I started. When I started those pathways, and I would say even into the early to mid 90s, those pathways for people from a more diverse uh, undergraduate background were not there. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, the 
you know, institutions can sometimes be very slow to move and yeah. particularly professional institutions. But uh, the good news is that both, yeah, the CAs and the CPAs have, have done a great job in, because they've realised that, you know, you want mm. as wide a recruitment pool as possible to get some exactly. really high calibre people that can feed uh, into those professional service firms and down the mm. track into the corporate sector as well. Mm. Yeah. So you mentioned that you've, you did, so a bit of auditing and then there was financial controller role, financial accounting, so a, a breadth of different finance related roles and functions. I'm just wondering, sort of before you became a CFO, I guess what were the key things that you did before then, before you became a CFO that helped you sort of get ready or set, set yourself up for success and then become a CFO later? Was there anything that you think you've done well that helped you get there? Yeah, look, I, I think, a key part of my development, it's always great. I mean, I've been fortunate. I've had, I would say, in my 40 years in professional life, I've had four to five really good mentors who've been willing to invest their time uh, in me and saw me as somebody that they thought they could support and help uh, with their career. So I've always been uh, keen to tap into those resources when they're available. And my, my key breakthrough from a career perspective was the Densply role, which I commenced in March 1995, so 25 years ago. I was pr prior to that role, I was in a financial controller role in a smaller internationally owned family company based here in Melbourne in the engineering sector. But while I was doing that role, I latched on to uh, a good mentor who uh, worked with me. He was a CFO in a bigger organization. He's somebody I'd met through another contact and he gave me some good insights as to what the step potentially between financial controller to CFO was. And some of the things was around learning more about the business, engaging more with the wider team and leadership team within the business, seeing finance as a support um, and a key support part of the organization, but also engaging with the other disciplines. So becoming really familiar with uh, marketing, with logistics, with the technology arm of the organization. And so I really put in the hard yards in doing that. I then got the opportunity to get that CFO role and it was a CFO role in, in the title said CFO, but really it was, a, it was a small step up from what I'd been doing in that previous financial controller role. It did have the IT team reporting into it. So that was a bit of an increased responsibility. But the key breakthrough I made there is that I put my hand up to do a short-term stint in not only looking after my CFO responsibilities, so this was about 1996, but also taking on the director of logistics roles. There was, a, there was a gap for about six months while the director of logistics uh, had moved on and they didn't feel they were in a position to recruit somebody. So they dropped me mm -hmm. into that role to cover both that and my CFO responsibilities. And so what I did, I had a really good offside on my two ICS when I was CFO. It was a great opportunity for her to, to really step up and to do a lot of my work as a CFO. I went downstairs into the warehouse, rolled up my sleeves, took my left my suit at home and basically took on the logistics role. And mm -hmm. I saw quite quickly the link between the CFO role and the logistics role, the wider organizational impact my role as CFO could have. Mm. I put forward a couple of um, business proposals to put some new automated logistics uh, um, technology into the warehouse. We put a couple of uh, carousels in, 
because a lot of our products were small products. Uh, we had had a history of writing off a lot of products and stock takes, which wasn't great. The Americans had lost a bit of credibility in us and trust in us. I convinced the CEO and the board to put 300,000 into two of these carousels, vertical carousels. Payback in the business case was about two years. We actually mm. paid it back in 11 months. Wow. Our service levels went into the high 90s. And I think this was the key thing that helped me to become the CEO of that organization in that uh-huh. this got a lot of vis- visibility around the world um, and globally in the head office in Pennsylvania. I was asked to go and present at a number of seminars globally, the business case and also the results and the how we have we done. And sure enough, within 18 months of, of that, um, my boss went back to America and I became the C- I became the CEO for what I said. So, uh, uh-huh. so yeah, but um, I think short short answer to your question, don't pigeonhole yourself. Be willing mm-hmm. to actually get out and get your hands dirty in other parts of the organization. Mm. And did you always know that you wanted to be a CFO or was it your mentor um, that sort of sort of put the seeds of this idea for you to consider this pathway? Yeah, look, I, I figured I saw it as a natural career progression. I worked at South Pacific Tires, which at the, in those days was part of the Pacific Dunlop uh, conglomeration. It was a joint venture between Goodyear Tires in America and uh, Dunlop Tire and Rubber in Australia. I was the corporate accountant manager there, so I did all the consolidations for all the divisions and all the subsidiaries. I did the tax, uh, the monthly management accounting, and I worked for a CFO who was an American, but he was fairly switched on and pretty good. And he was quite open in uh, conversing with me, uh, bringing mm-hmm. me into conversations, uh, which I thought I was felt lucky to be sitting in at the table at. They were a high level with executives, et cetera. And I liked what I saw about his role and the impact he was having on the organization. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of stored that in my memory locker that, yeah, I think I could I could do that job um, mm-hmm. eventually with the right support and yeah. uh, after a few more years. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so I saw it as a career progression. Did I see it as leading into a CEO type of role from there? No, I thought my career, my full career would be in finance. And of course, mm-hmm. the irony is here I am now as the CFO of uh, a major metro council in Melbourne, previously the CFO before this role. I was the CFO of uh, Peter McCallum cancer center again here in melbourne so so i've gone back into cfo roles after i suppose escaping into the world of general management and ceo mm-hmm. but I, I i think it's been a benefit for me i think i've brought so much back into these cfo roles now having had that six or seven years of exposure at a at a general management uh, ceo role and part of the reason i think i've been recruited into the peter mack role and of course into the City of Port Phillip role is because of that more broader experience that I now bring to the table as a CFO mm-hmm. based on those experiences that I had in um, in Densply Serona. Yeah, okay. So I think um, I think you mentioned one of the key characteristics or attribute of uh, a great CEO would be having that context in terms of how does finance fit into the whole picture, how the different departments such as marketing, logistics are connected with one another, and how can finance support um, the rest of the organization in a way. So for maybe the grads and students that want to know a little bit more about what it takes to be a CFO, so it might take them a few years, uh, 
a couple of decades until they get there. Um, but maybe just as they prepare and start their career, what would be the things or the, the it could be skills, it could be attributes, yep. attitude even that we would expect of a great CFO? Yeah, I think a, a key thing that I've learned, and it took me a while to, to learn this, is ask lots of questions, be inquisitive, always, uh, you know, always back yourself in. There's no such thing as a silly question, um, you know, and if somebody gives you a hard time because you've asked the question and they've, you know, either diminish you in some sense, uh, that's more of a mark on their character than it is on yours. Um, always be open-minded. Um, don't jump, don't jump to a conclusion too quickly because it's likely, sometimes you get lucky and it's the right conclusion, but more often than not, you don't have enough information to be in a position to say, you know, on the balance of what I have available to me, that is the right decision. Now, the other end of that spectrum is procrastination and you don't want to be a procrastinator either. There's a, there's a balance there between getting as much information as is um, sensible to be able to make a decision. And some of the pitfalls for some, not only CFOs, but for many people in a business context is that you you put off your decision until you have 99% of the information. And mm -hmm. sometimes the opportunity is gone by the time yes. you get there. Sometimes 80% of the information is enough for you to make a calculated risk to actually mm -hmm. decide on something. One out of 10 times, it's going to blow up in your face, believe mm -hmm. me, and that's just life. But the other nine out of 10 times, that 80% of information is enough to support a decision. Um, use your colleagues to you know, bounce ideas off of. That's important. Um, you know, most successful business people and indeed CFOs are people who work well within a team. They're open and receptive to feedback. Um, they're especially uh, receptive to constructive feedback mm -hmm. and they're always open to input from experts. As a CFO, as somebody who gets exposure to other areas of the organization at a high level, either an executive level or a senior leadership level, you will just by being in that environment learn a lot, but that doesn't mm -hmm. make you an expert in that mm -hmm. particular discipline. So you do need to be uh, respectful of the people who are experts. Uh, you need to be thorough in your questioning of them and mm -hmm. in the same way that you would expect somebody to question you and your rationale in getting to a decision, mm -hmm. you should also be playing that back to them as well. Because um, believe me, uh, that's what colleagues do. They work together in those type of decision environments. Mm. Yeah. One thing that I want to ask, if that's okay, in terms of day-to-day, -day, what would be the maybe one, two or three key things that you might spend most of your energy on as a CFO? Uh, well, obviously, as a CFO, I've got a key relationship with the executive and whether that's where I am now at the City of Port Phillip or in any other organisational context. So my biggest job is to enable them to do their jobs in a way that supports the delivery of our services uh, within the City of Port Phillip. So I, I work closely with my customer base and that's uh, the general managers of the, the four general managers and the CEO at the City of Port Phillip. So there's often... Um, uh, particularly in this COVID environment where we've been mm -hmm. using uh, teams and other uh, technology solutions to collaborate and work with each other. A chunk of my day is surfing that environment and making sure that those sessions are productive, that 
they are fully utilized, that there's no downtime and that people are comfortable with the information I'm giving them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I check in with my lead team. I've got uh, four, five direct reports. I check in with them every second day to ensure that they have got the resources um, and support from the organization and for me to enable them to do their jobs, which are very important. Some of the key things I look at, we have significant funds that we carry on behalf and uh, safeguard on behalf of the organization, of the community. So there's often a part of the day where I'm reviewing investment options for um, putting some of the rates revenue and we have peak periods in the year where the money just flows in and we obviously need to, and it's not helpful at the moment with interest rates down where they are, but, um, and Local governments, ever since 2008 and Lehman Brothers, uh, local governments are much more risk averse now with respect to their investment portfolio. So I do have a uh, an onus of responsibility to ensure that quite a bit of thinking goes into where mm-hmm. we move our, our funds. Another key uh, issue at the moment is we are doing a major customer experience transformation across the whole of the city of Port Phillip. We're working with uh, Technology One as our solution providers and KPMG as our delivery partner. And we have significant amount of our organization invested in senior, um, sorry, subject matter expert roles and business need lead roles. I'm the business owner for quite a number of the modules that are going live over the next 12 months and indeed the last six months. Mm. So I have at least an hour and a half of my day where I'm really much engaged in a bit of firefighting, a bit Mm -hmm. of troubleshooting, Mm -hmm. but also uh, working through with those other partners and the project team and the program team on ensuring that we set ourselves up for success with this program. So they're kind of the key things, but it's such a varied role. Mm -hmm. Um, Emails obviously are the bane of everybody's life. So Mm. And being in a CEO role or CFO role or any C-level role, you tend to get CC'd into a lot of emails, which <laughs> you don't need really you to don't be need CC'd to, yeah. into. So, uh, and it's a case of triaging those. So I have about an hour a day, normally first thing in the morning, where I triage my emails. And uh, there's normally 50 to 60 of them in the morning when I start to triage down into 10 or 12 that really are the ones that I need to respond to or to get engaged in or to uh, think about and the rest I can either do a quick handball to people in my team or I can just put into the delete hopefully nobody from City Port Phillip is watching this (laughs) great you you sort of answered a lot of my questions already so I don't have a lot left Um, just a couple so two questions uh the first one was I think for maybe uh graduate students that they they might be doing finance or commerce or accounting or or not, but they don't really they're not sure what career to follow and maybe CFO might be something that down the track they might consider. Why do you think they should actually consider becoming yep. a CFO one day? Or it doesn't need to be a CFO. Maybe it could even be a CEO or a GM yep. as well. Yep. Look, uh, the the key thing for me is um, how interesting the roles are. Um, to be to use finance as a stepping stone into um, an organization or into a career, it's a great stepping stone. And that can involve entry via the professional services environment, as a lot of us have done, via um, audit firms or consulting firms. And they can be a small, you know, suburban accounting firm, or they can be the big four or whatever. You can also, you know, with the pathways that are available, you can end up as a CPA or a CA without Mm. having to go through that professional services environment that's available to you Mm. these days. So, look, it's just an interesting uh, career. Um, I've worked over my 40 years or close to 40 years, I've worked 
I counted the other day thinking of this uh, catch up with uh, Cynthia. Uh, I've worked in eight clear, distinct sectors um, mm. of, of the economy. I've learned so much across all those sectors. I've been able to carry from one sector to the other learnings into those new sectors, which have held me in good stead. But it's it's been an enjoyable journey. Um, I would, you know, as I said at the start of this discussion, I wanted to be an army officer 40 years ago. I wonder how that would have worked out if my Irish language skills were slightly better and I ended up with a uniform on in the Irish army. Would my career have been as uh, interesting as and as varied? And would I have had the opportunity to come out and spend the best part of my life in Australia, have children here, see them prosper within this great country? Uh, mm. Look, that can happen in any career, I know. But for me, uh, it's all been down to that kind of sliding door moment for me back in 1980 when I ended up on the chartered accounting track rather than mm -hmm. the, uh, the army track. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes, you know, rejections can be a blast in disguise. You never know. Yeah. Cool. Um, my, um, I'd like to close this episode by asking you um, what if someone's graduating today or next year or no, very soon, they're ready for their career, they're ready to start building something for themselves. What would be a key piece of advice that you would give them? It could be something that you've sort of lesson learned or it could be even something that you wish you had known when you started your career. What, what would it be? Look, I think, um, and it's the same in any career, I think resilience is a key underlying um, part of success. You will have knockbacks, you'll apply for a lot of roles, and you'll be told you don't have the experience because you're a graduate. Um, don't let that knock you back. You know, experience comes in many shapes and flavors. If you have the mindset and the perseverance and the resilience, uh, you will end up in that first on that first rung of the ladder. So I would say start looking and researching at areas that you think you might be interested in. Finance these days is a very varied career and it can range from everything from risk management and particularly in the context of climate emergency, climate change, uh, through to um, you know investment banking, through to the professional services environment and management accounting. Uh, sorry, management consulting, I should say. Um, there are just so many pathways out there. One of them will, and you might try one or two of them before you find your niche, um, mm -hmm. but it will be out there. Um, in my days when I started, really the only opportunity was to end up with one of the, um, it was the, again, it shows my age, it was the big eight back then, not the big four. <laughs> there was eight of them before all these mergers. It was really a case of your, your entry into a finance career, even a corporate finance career was through the big eight, through an auditing uh, pathway. Uh, that's no longer the case. Uh, mm -hmm. The world is your oyster at this stage from a perspective of pathways into a financial career. And if you look at some of the uh, top um, ASX listed companies of some of the most successful companies, check out some of the background of some of their CFOs and you'll be surprised a high percentage of them had quite varied backgrounds and some of them mm. uh, had no, uh, did not have a financial uh, undergraduate degree. Mm. Yeah, because you get to bring a lot of learnings and experience and lateral thinking from others. There's other roles or industries or functions that you might be sort of getting experience from that might not be necessarily related to finance anyways. Was that the advice that you gave to your daughter? Uh, 
Kind of, yeah. And she she did well. She got into Price Waterhouse uh, as a year twelve student. They have their year twelve. You, you'd be aware of they have their wow. kind of cadetship program where, if you get a good VCE, you go in and they, you do your first year at. Um, she did it at RMIT. She did a, a degree in uh, accounting. Mm-hmm. You do your year two and three in the office where you learn a lot of experience. So a little bit like what I did back in the day, and you. Um, you do your degree, the second year of your degree part-time during those two years. Mm-hmm. And then year four, you're, you're back in the office doing the, uh, back in the uni doing your final year full-time. Mm-hmm. So, yep, look, she's now um, moved up. She had a promotion recently. She's uh, oh, doing well within her. their auditing team. Uh, she likes it. Um, I think she, she, she hasn't decided to do her CA exams yet. So she's moving up through their structure without, at some stage, she will need to make the decision if she wants to go to the really high level within professional services firm. Mm-hmm. But she's really looking at the opportunities to marry finance with um, sustainability, for example. Mm. She's had a look at a course over in Utrecht in Holland, which is a, a, a master's in um, finance and innovation and sustainability. So wow. that type of a mixture, finance with that future that we're all needing to be conscious of because yes. of the damage we've done to our planet over the journey yes. you know again who would have thought 10 15 years ago that would have been a potential career for somebody with a finance background but yes. these days it is so yes. and to, to be honest i don't think she listens to much advice i give her anyway so <laughs> she doesn't or she does <laughs> she should she should cool uh that yeah these were all the questions and yeah i think you literally answered every single one of them yeah and i can uh, hopefully provide some insights for the the students and uh, always happy Cynthia as you know uh, we've worked well together in the past so I'm always happy mm-hmm. to support you and um, I wish you every success with this blog so well done oh, thank you all right miss we'll listen you have a lovely evening and we'll talk soon thank you bye, bye. So that's it, guys, for today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure you do subscribe to our podcast so you can stay tuned for the upcoming episodes as well. If there is any specific job that you're interested to know more about, make sure you leave a comment on our Facebook post or message us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Australia, and we'll try to whip up an episode for you. Take care and until next time. Bye.